Welcome to Sunday Morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and in response to the events of the amazing resurrection at Easter, it now becomes our job to discern how we respond to the events of Holy Week and Christ being raised from the dead. We are to discern how we are being led to live, to change our lives, to care for others, to welcome others to Christ's table. This is our call and our challenge. Let's do this together. Come on in. Our first scripture reading today comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 68, verses 1 through 10 and verses 32 through 35. Let God rise up. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, let the wicked perish before God. But let the righteous be joyful, let them exalt before God, let them be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides upon the clouds. His name is the Lord, be exultant before him. Father of orphans and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God gives the desolate a home to live in. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious live in parched land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain, and the presence of God, the God of Sinai, and the presence of God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you showered abroad. You restored your heritage when it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it, in your goodness, O God. You provide for the needy. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord. O rider in the heavens, the ancient heavens, listen. He sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God in his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the very beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit 
not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. It's my second time getting the opportunity to say good morning. Um, I sort of started this tradition here uh, the last time that I had the opportunity to preach at First Prez. Um, and I feel like before we get too far into the sermon, I need to, we need to establish some rapport. We need to develop a relationship of sorts, because I primarily work with the young people here as the director of youth ministries. But I feel like there's some faces that I don't quite recognize here in the crowd today, and I want to make sure that we, we connect, okay? So... As a youth pastor, one of the expectations is that you have an arsenal, a litany of games at hand at any point in time. And before we can play any of those games, we have to get to know one another. And one of the best ways to do that is through icebreakers. And I want to share a specific icebreaker with y'all that we played on my first night here at First Presbyterian Church way back in 2021. It's a game called Two Truths and a Lie. Are y'all familiar with this game? No? Abby, I know you're lying. (laughs) So, in the game Two Truths and a Lie, I'm going to give you three statements. Two of them are going to be true. One of them is going to be false. All right? Now, we're going to add an extra twist today. My three statements are all going to be about jobs that I wanted to have when I was a little boy. All right? So, you're going to have to figure out which of the two jobs I did want to have, and the third I had no inclination of having for the rest of my life. All right? Everybody on board so far? Yeah? I'm going to let you know right now, 845 was able to figure this out real fast. So y'all got a couple extra hours of sleep. I'm going to expect that y'all are going to be quick here. The first statement, the first job that I wanted to have when I was a little boy was youth director and youth pastor. We're not supposed to laugh at that. It's my first job. This is my job right now, y'all. It makes sense, right? That that's something that I would want to do for the rest of my life. Option two, I wanted to be a race car when I grew up. Choir's laughing. Miss Frazier, you're not supposed to laugh at these things. We're supposed to be taking this seriously. I want to make sure that y'all heard me and understood. Race car, not race car driver. At some point, I was going to transform from a little boy into a race car. Specifically, I wanted to be an Indy car that raced around the track in Indianapolis for the Indianapolis 500, a race that we went to uh, pretty frequently while I was growing up. 
Last option, number three. When I was a little boy, when I grew up, I wanted to be an astronaut, okay? So we'll run through them all one more time real quick. Youth pastor, what was the second one, Keaton? Race car. Race car and astronaut. That's right, physical race car. Any ideas, any thoughts? Which one's true? Race car is true, that's correct. Can we figure out the other one that's true? Astronaut, man, y'all are good today, good job. Now I tried to prepare a sermon talking about how it's important to become a race car because we have to run the race of faith and it's really important to assemble a team of like-minded individuals that are all working together in pursuit of one common shared goal. But it was a little bit of a stretch. So we're gonna spend time talking about uh, me wanting to be an astronaut this morning. When I was a little boy, I was obsessed with space. I couldn't get enough of it. I read books, I watched movies, I would pay extra attention in school whenever they would roll in the handcart with the TV and they would throw on some kind of VHS presentation from the Discovery Channel about space or the Apollo moon landings. That stuff, I ate it up. I I have distinct memories of going to Blockbuster with my dad to go and rent Return of the Jedi over and over and over again because I loved Star Wars. He even tried to get me on board with Star Trek one time, but I'll confess, the minute that Luke fired up that lightsaber, it was, it was game over for me. I was not gonna be interested in anything else. So strictly Star Wars for me. Now beyond just watching and reading things, I also liked to make things, use my hands to create. And I have so many fond memories of sitting on the family room floor after Christmas day or after a birthday, putting with Legos or connects strewn all over the floor, putting together these Legos, building things like Luke Skywalker's X-Wing, Darth Vader's TIE Fighter, and the Millennium Falcon. But the Connects kits were a little bit more realistic. I had two models that I was exceptionally proud of. One of them was like a three and a half foot to four foot tall model of the Saturn V rocket, complete with this structure that was used to the side to anchor it in place and so that the astronauts could climb up and enter into the, the ship before it launched into outer space. But the piece de resistance of my collection was absolutely a motorized model of the International Space Station, complete with rotating panels of, uh, of solar panels to power the station, along with an orbiting shuttle to deliver its precious cargo of astronauts and scientists intent on studying the effects of zero gravity on the human body and on things like spiders and mushrooms. I love space to this day. And as I was working on this sermon and as I was gearing up for my dad to come to visit this weekend, I started thinking about memories of how my obsession with space even impacted my family. We used to take an annual spring break trip down to Clearwater, Florida every, every spring break when I was in elementary school all the way up to about uh, the end of junior high. We would spend time in Clearwater, Florida. And when my sister and I were younger, we used to get a little bit antsy, believe it or not. It's hard for younger kids just to be content sitting on the beach getting some sun. So my mom and dad would let us pick out uh, special day trips, little excursions that we would go and do in the surrounding area. And this year in particular, I had the opportunity to 
take my family to the Kennedy Space Science Center. And most important of all, got to walk amongst the rocket gardens. And I don't know if any of y'all have ever been there, but it's one of the most incredible things, especially for a young man who's obsessed with rockets and everything that has left the earth and gone up into space. I was awestruck. Being able to reach out and touch something that had started out here on earth and had launched into the heavens and found its place amongst the stars was just an incredible thing. It was so inspiring and something that I've never quite experienced since. Seeing and walking amongst those rockets made space, this thing that I was enamored with that seemed so far away, being able to reach out and and walk amongst and touch these things that had been there made it feel a little bit closer. It connected two places for me that were otherwise separate from one another. Now, I'm not the first person or the last who's going to be interested in space. We've been wondering about what exists beyond the clouds and in the heavens nigh since the beginning of time. We're talking like way, way, way back for us young people. We're talking like Old Testament times. People have been wondering about what exists in the heavens. Thanks to the rockets that we were talking about, we have had the opportunity as a group of people to explore and get a deeper understanding for what exists out there. But the people, the ancient people of God, did not quite have that same understanding. They had questions, and even though we've had the opportunity to explore and get out beyond this chunk of rock that we call Earth, we have questions. There are still mysteries that exist today. And on this special Sunday, we have the opportunity to question what lies beyond. You see, today is a special day in the church calendar, Today is the seventh Sunday of Easter, otherwise known as Ascension Sunday, as Ms. Vicki mentioned earlier. Not long ago, we celebrated Easter as a congregation, and about 40 days out from the resurrection, we find in the scriptures that Jesus left the earth and ascended into heaven in plain view of his disciples, inviting them and us to wonder together about what exactly the ascension means for us as people of God. Now, I don't want you to think that just because Pastor Danny isn't here that you were going to get let off the hook with your weekly Greek lesson that we've had for the past two weeks. I have another good word to share with you this morning. The word is apyro. Can you say that for me, Keaton? Nailed it. So apyro is a word that we're going to find in the Greek translation of acts, which means taken up or lifted up. It's the word that's used to describe Jesus' ascension. And in chapter one, listen again as I read and lift up today's scripture. So when they had come together, they were asking him saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs, which the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white appeared before them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a story that raises some questions for me. 
Like, what does it mean that Jesus ascended into heaven? It's not something that we encounter on a regular basis, even in Scripture. Is the point of the ascension that Jesus floated away into the clouds, or is it something else? Did Jesus just take off into outer space like those rocket ships that I was talking about earlier? I'm not sure that that's the one. More, but most important of all, why does any of this story matter for us today? To answer these questions, I think it's important that we take a step back and get an understanding of the big biblical concepts that are at play here, the concepts of heaven and earth, God's space, and human space. When I was a kid, and when I would think about what God was like or what heaven might be like, I would picture a scene from the best animated Disney movie of all time, Hercules. And in the movie Hercules, Zeus is the king of the gods, so you see the the application here. It's easy to picture God as Zeus in this example. But Zeus was this really big, burly man. He had really long, curly white hair, a long white beard, and big muscles. But he was also oddly orange, which I hope that God's not orange like that, Um, especially given that we're in Georgia. Uh, You know, we have a thing about orange. But in addition to that, you get, to picture, you get a picture of what Mount Olympus looks like. And I couldn't help but imagine that Mount Olympus is what heaven would be like. This place in the clouds with these buildings capped with gold and all of these incredible creatures and, and heavenly beings running around and doing the things that people in heaven do. Now, as you read the Bible, you begin to understand that that's not exactly what the Bible says about heaven. Um, But I think there's some nuggets that we might be able to take away that might be helpful, especially as we consider the ancient Hebrew understanding of the cosmos. You see, throughout the Bible, biblical authors use terms like the skies or the heavens to refer to the place where God lives, designated as God's space. If you remember from Keaton's reading of Psalm 68, the psalmist writes that God rides on the clouds, clearly indicating another separation from the earth. The biblical authors use terms like land or the earth to refer to the place where people live, designated as humans, humanity's space. The key here is that in this understanding of things, both spaces were included in the natural created world. However, they were distinctly separate from one another. When the ancient Hebrew people talk about geographic locations and relationships between different spaces in the physical world, they often use physical descriptions to represent a higher transcendent reality. For example, we're gonna do a quick callback. I thought about bringing in a dry erase board, but I thought better of it because I'm not an artist. This is a lesson, quick two minute lesson from Aaron regurgitating the information that he got from his Old Testament literature professor at Messiah College way, 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 way back when. The Hebrew people had an understanding of the cosmos that existed in three places. The lowest, the place of death, of loss, of sleep, and rest is referenced as Sheol, okay? And that's the lowest of the low. The middle is the earth, the place where humanity exists, where we're called to be good stewards of creation, the things that God has blessed us with from the beginning of time. And finally, because God is transcendent and above all things, 
God's space is indicated metaphorically as being above or up or in the heavens. This understanding of three separate planes of existence is challenged on Ascension Sunday. My understanding of heaven looking something like the animated space from Hercules is also challenged on Ascension Sunday. And I hope that maybe for each and every one of us sitting here in the pews on this Sunday morning, our understanding of what it means to participate in the kingdom of God is challenged this morning because the ascension is pivotal to our faith. You see, on this day, we are reminded that God's vision for heaven and earth, God's space and humanity's space was originally to be fully integrated as one. God's space and our space were meant to overlap on earth as it is in heaven. You know that prayer that we recite every week? Harkens back to that. You see, when we get to the book of Acts, Luke describes a scene where Jesus is lifted up and a cloud receives him. Luke is not giving us readers firsthand video camera footage, even though I would kill to see that, because I've got questions that I would like to have answered. He doesn't provide us with that video footage, but instead he calls back to that language that I was telling you about before. He uses geographic and spatial relationship language, talking about the ascension in Jesus going up towards the heavens to convey a transcendent meaning. Luke uses this imagery so that we as his readers can connect Jesus's crucifixion, resurrection, and his ascension as all being a part of his return to his throne at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly temple. The ascension is paramount to our faith and our understanding of who Jesus is. You see, it further reinforces that God's plan for the kingdom started with Jesus. Jesus was fully man, a person that people could reach out and touch. One of my favorite biblical characters is Thomas, because I can very easily imagine myself being like Thomas, not only because he's full of questions and doubt and wonder, but also because he wants to reach out and touch for himself so that he knows for certain. Thomas reaches out with both hands and he touches the side of Jesus where he was pierced by the spear. He touches the parts of his hands that were nailed to the cross, solidifying that Jesus did in fact die on the cross. You see, this proves Christ's humanity. And the ascension shows the disciples along with us that Jesus was also who he says that he was. The ascension connects heaven and earth together. It shows us that God's plan through Jesus is to move in and amongst us, that the kingdom of God is here all around us. I believe that we are invited to ascend with Jesus, not a literal ascension where we rise up like a rocket ship into the clouds and find our place amongst the stars, And it also doesn't mean floating off into space or some ethereal place beyond the skies when we die. Instead, it means joining our human lives into God's divine work of spreading the gospel here on earth. It's about declaring that God's will be done, not our own. Jesus provided the disciples with instructions that are shared here with us today. Jesus sent out his followers following the ascension, to announce that his indestructible good life is available now, today, in the present, for all people. This strong and ongoing life 
means getting to know the God of love in the deepest way so that lives can be transformed as we're liberated to love God and love our neighbors. I believe that we are invited to ascend into this way of living. We are invited like the disciples were by Christ at the ascension to be a part of God's plan, to overlap heaven and earth, the heavenly kingdom of God, and this place that we call home. Today, Tom and the choir are going to offer up a special offertory anthem that uses the words of the prophet Isaiah to outline what it looks like to participate as active members of the kingdom of God. Listen to those instructions and treasure them in your heart, church. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to rebuild ancient ruins, and to restore places long devastated. And I apologize that I'm getting emotional, but I think that this is the heart of the gospel. This is the thing that has the power to change the world if we decide to buy into it. This is what Jesus was instructing the disciples to begin at his ascension. This is the bridge that brings heaven to earth. Imagine if that were to come to pass. If we were all as a church, as a body of believers, willing to lean into this call on Ascension Sunday, to be lifted up into these instructions to rebuild, to restore, to renew, to bind up, to free the oppressed, to release the captive, that sounds an awful lot like what heaven must be like to me. I think that this is what changes the world if we decide to buy in. All we have to do is decide that we want to participate in that. So my challenge to you, church, is to ask whether or not you want to ascend with Jesus today. Hallelujah. Amen.